The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Have a seat. Great to see you this morning, New Song Church. How are we doing? Awesome. Great to be here. I come to you from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I am now the pastor of Church on the Move. My dad started Church on the Move 31 years ago and um, transitioned it to me a little bit more than a year ago. And so now I'm the lead pastor at Church on the Move, which is just kind of crazy. And it is surreal. I, I, I know that, you know, when you're a pastor or whatever and your guest speaker is supposed to come up and have something funny to say and get people to laugh or whatever, I couldn't think of anything funny to say this morning. But I was just reflecting this week on how surreal it is that I am coming as a pastor. I mean, you guys don't know, I don't, you don't know me and I don't know you, but like, I mean, I know your pastor, like I really know your pastor. And just to think that he, he has a church and I am coming as a pastor of a church, is just proof that there is a God, y'all. I'm serious. It's crazy. So it's an honor. Yeah, it's an honor to be here, honor to get to hang out with you guys. And it's an honor to be here in this season. Because this is kind of like a vision season for you guys. You just got through with your vision series, kind of talking about why we exist and why we do what we do. And vision is so important because I don't know if you know this, but vision leaks. We, we kind of lose sight of what's most important in life. It just happens naturally. I think because especially in our culture, because we're so busy. I have five kids. And so I don't know if you know what that, like just kids' schedules, going from this practice to that practice, this thing to that thing. It's crazy just kind of how life gets. And I think it's so easy for us to lose sight of what's really important. And so what you guys have been talking about and what I love is we're kind of reminding ourselves. I think that's what you got to do as a, as a church is you have to remind yourself what's really most important. Why are we doing this? What do we exist for? What are we here for? What are we wanting to do? And so I love kind of coming in on the end of that season because here's what I want to tell you and talk to you about is that there's a cost associated with vision. There's always a cost associated with vision. But the best things in life always have a cost with them. They, they, they're, they're not free. We like to say the best things in life are free. I don't think that's true. The best things in life are the things that had a cost to them. That's what makes them kind of worth something is that, wow, man, there was a cost associated with this. You value it. Things, I don't know about you, but things I get for free, I don't value as much as the things that I worked for. And so there's a vision that God's put in front of you. There's a vision that God has for your life. There's a vision that God has for your church. But it's not going to just come for free, and it's not going to just come because Pastor Josh and Sarah kind of laid it out for everybody, and we said, woohoo, and cheered it on, and then just kind of sat back and believed that God was going to do it all. There's a part we have to play in all of this. And God wants to do something significant in your life. As I look back on where I was, as I look back on where, you know, Pastor Josh was when we were, man, just teenagers and first getting started in ministry, and I look at where we are now, and I look at what God has done, I go, wow, this is, it's amazing, but it doesn't come without a cost. There's a cost associated with it. And so what I want to talk about is the cost of achieving your vision, the cost of getting where God wants you to be. What is that cost? What does it take to get there? And there's three things I just want to kind of talk about that I think are kind of the minimum requirements for you guys realizing the grand vision that 
has been presented to you and kind of where it is that you're going to go and the amazing things that you're going to do. What does it cost? I think three things. And I think these not just apply to us kind of corporately as New Song Church, but I think they also apply to us individually, what God wants to do in each of our lives and kind of what it takes for that to sort of play out and happen. So three things. These are not comprehensive, but they're kind of minimum, the minimum requirements. There's probably more than three, but I'll just, I want to leave you with three this morning. That's what I feel like I have time to kind of share with you. Here's number one. You got to embrace the risk of following God. Church, if you're going to be what God has called you to be, you're going to have to embrace the risk of following God. I don't know if you realize this, but following God always requires risk. I can't think of anybody Anybody, when I read through Scripture, not one single character that we read about in Scripture who God asked to do something that didn't require risk from them, them stepping outside of their comfort zone. When you think about Abraham and God speaking to Abraham and he says, get up, leave your family, leave your country, and go to a land that I will show you. How many of you know that's risky? Leaving basically everything that you know. When you think about God speaking to Moses and saying, you're going to go to Pharaoh, only the most powerful man on earth, and you're going to tell him, let my people go. That's risky. I can only imagine Moses speaking to God and saying, okay, I get it. You want me to go and talk to Pharaoh? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? And God says, here's a stick. Take that with you. That'll, that'll really win him over. When you think about, when you think about Esther standing in front of the king, standing up for her people, risk. When we think about Mary, you know, we're coming up on the Christmas season here. It'll be here before we know it. I was over buying some Halloween decor with uh, my wife, Heather, who's here with me, and we were looking at Halloween decor uh, day before yesterday. Yeah, that's today, Sunday. Yeah, Friday. We were looking at, we were looking at, it's been a crazy week. I've been looking at Halloween decor, and there's Christmas stuff everywhere. Christmas will be here before we know it. But as we think about Mary, I think one of the things that we do when we think about the Christmas story is that we kind of look at it through the lens of nostalgia, Christmas magic, and it just becomes kind of a nice, quaint little story. But there's so much going on in that story that I think we miss. Because when an angel shows up and tells Mary, you're going to have a baby even though you never slept with a man, even though you're a virgin, you're going to have a baby, I don't think we realize the risk that's going on in that that request, that, that call. Because For Mary to have a baby without being married to a man meant that she was subject to being stoned to death for that sin of having sex outside of marriage. So whenever the baby, whenever the angel says you're going to have a baby, there's a real risk, like a life and death risk that she's taking on her, not to mention the risk of just how am I going to explain this to everyone that I care about? How am I going to explain this to Joseph? Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. I promise I have it. There was an angel. We think that ancient people just bought anything, kind of hook, line, and sinker. They didn't. Joseph didn't believe her. God had to speak to Joseph so that he would believe what it was that Mary was going through. Point is, there was risk. For the rest of her life, people would look at her with judgment in their eyes. I know who you are. I know what you've done. That's what it takes to follow God, is there's risk involved. It means getting outside of your comfort zone. It means not playing it safe. And I think, unfortunately, in our world today, we're becoming more and more obsessed with safety, with keeping everything safe, with making sure that we're comfortable, that we're not risking, you know, uh, 
injury or harm, that we're not going to get ourselves in trouble in any way. I remember whenever I was a kid and we went on vacation, we didn't have car seats. My parents threw me in the back of a station wagon with a 200-pound television and said, here, survive. We didn't wear helmets when we went outside. We just went out and played. We went out and explored, unfortunately, and this is just kind of a side brand, but I think we're, we're so concerned with safety that we're not letting our kids actually live and experience and be little boys and little girls, but they're just staying at home, staring at a screen, and yeah, they're safer, but they're not really living. Let me tell you something. Following God means risk. It means you can't play it safe. Whenever we lay out a a big vision and Pastor Josh starts talking about compassion, when we start talking about generosity and making a difference in the community around us, that means risk. That means getting outside of yourself. Compassion is risky. It costs something. Generosity is risky because it means you're giving away rather than holding on to. And that's scary. But that's what it is to follow God is it means letting go of things that you'd like to keep control of. It means getting outside your comfort zone. You know, this last year and a half has been, wow, Siri's responding to me up here. Uh, This last year, (laughs) shut up, Siri. This last year has um, has been an interesting year for me just stepping into the senior pastor role of a very influential church. I mean, my dad started church on the move 31 years ago, has just been kind of a, a legendary leader, really, at least in our community and to a lot of leaders around the body of Christ. And to kind of step into that position is sort of like, wow. And, 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 and this year, I've just been kind of getting counsel. And, and there was a guy I've been meeting with who's just been giving me some great advice and just talking about, you know, how to step into this season in the most healthy way. And one of the things that he told me was he said, Wit, you're going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I think one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray is, God, give me an uncomfortable Christianity. I'm just telling you, read through the New Testament, read through the book of Acts, and see if you can find a comfortable version of Christianity. Read through the Old Testament and see if you can find the comfortable life that we're all trying to achieve. That is not what it is to follow God. It's a great adventure. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. In fact, I tell people in my church all the time, and maybe if you're new here or maybe you're not a Christian and you happen to, you know, be invited here or wander in here today or whatever, I tell people this regularly. I say, look, if you're looking for a safe life, if you're looking for a comfortable life, don't become a Christian and don't go to Jesus. Think about the things that he asked people to do. The rich young ruler shows up and says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He was expecting to get one more rule that he could kind of check off his list. And Jesus says, take everything you own and give it away. That's risky. And I think somehow we convince ourselves that Jesus is no longer in the business of asking us to do things like that. Ooh, thank God, because I kind of like what I have. But what if it means getting outside of your comfort zone? in a way that you're not used to. Can I tell you, when you start going into neighborhoods that other people don't want to go into, it's risky. When you start reaching people that other people don't want to reach, it's risky because then their kids are around your kids, and it makes me a little uncomfortable. That's what it is to reach people. But isn't that the God that we serve? Because Jesus didn't sit on his seat and just go, well, they've gotten themselves into a mess. But he got up and he came and he plunged himself into our mess. 
That's the God that we serve, and that's what we're called to do. We can't reach people at a distance. It's going to require some risk. You know, as a, as a pastor, one of the things that you do is you study other churches and church growth and all that kind of stuff because, you know, it's the sort of world that I'm in. I came across this interesting statistic a while back I thought was fascinating. It's a church kind of growth life cycle of how most churches work. And here, here's sort of the, the graph that I brought to kind of show you how it works. Basically, as a church begins, it grows rapidly. There's a lot of energy. It's new. It's fun to be a part of something new. It's fun to be a part of something that's just like, it's kinda, it just feels like you're a part of a movement. It's just kind of wild. It's a little bit interesting, and it's exciting to be a part of it. And there's a lot of growth. In fact, for the first 15 years, we see that churches grow rapidly. In fact, the, the sharpest period of their growth in terms of the growth curve is in the first 15 years. But if you look, right around 15 years, it starts to level out. And after 15 years, then it starts to kind of plateau and then slowly decline, 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 decline until for a lot of churches you drive by, you can see they're kind of empty, kind of dead, not much is going on there. Why is that? Why is it? Why does it work like this? Why does this pattern kind of continue over and over again? Well, here's why. This is fascinating. Because it takes about 15 years for a church to get enough people and enough resource together to be able to get a building, to be able to find land and build building. And what's amazing is there's, there's all this effort, and men, it takes a monumental effort to just get something like this launched and going, and everybody's contributing, and we're, we're involved, and we're active. I mean, when I think about, you know, over 10% of your church just in one weekend jumping up and saying, yeah, I want to be a part. Man, that's unheard. Like, that's amazing, really amazing numbers. And that's incredible because we feel the need that there's something significant to be done. But what's incredible is after that 15-year period, we kind of just sit down. We made it. We're here. And I know you guys aren't even 15 years old as a church yet, but the reason I say this is because I think this applies to our life. There's a sort of place where we just kind of get there. Can I tell you, you never get there with God. And it's not a constant striving of you know, just it'll never be enough, but that's the adventure of following God. God is an infinite God. And so you never get to a place where it's like, I've arrived. You just keep walking. In fact, I believe when we step into the next life, we'll just keep walking there. It doesn't end. We keep moving, but that moving requires risk. And I think as a church and as individuals, for us to achieve the vision that has been laid out for us, that's where we're going to have to go. We're going to have to be willing to embrace risk. Here's the second thing I think we're going to have to do as a church. And as individuals, you're going to have to be willing to take your next step. Take your next step. Why is this so significant? Well, it's because God leads us in steps, not leaps, and not master plans. Look at Proverbs 16, 9 says this. It says that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Psalm 37, 23 says this, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. My dad taught me this. I watched him build our church over years and years and years. How do you do it? I mean, you come onto our property, it's, it's amazing what all he's built and what all has happened and what all God has done through his leadership and in our church. Just incredible. How do you do something like that? He would tell you it happens one step at a time. Because God leads us in steps. The problem is we prefer master plans. We prefer 
in games. We would like to know how it's all going to work out. And God doesn't tell you that. That's the thing about following God, is He's not going to give you a vision of what it's all going to be in the end. You might have glimpses. You might have a little, a little piece of it. But I can just tell you, especially if you're a young person just starting out, let me just tell you that when you start out following God, you have no idea where He's taking you. Can I just tell you, the greatest joke that God ever played on me is the fact that I'm standing on this platform today. I never wanted to be a pastor. It was not on my radar. It wasn't what I thought I was going to do. In fact, Heather talks and jokes about this. My wife, Heather, is sitting right over here. She, she jokes about the fact, she goes, I didn't marry a pastor. I married a graphic designer. Joke's on you, I guess. We're in ministry. How does that happen? One step at a time as we look at what God does. He gives His people, He reveals His plan step by step. When he spoke to Abraham, we just talked a moment ago, he said, get up, leave your country, and go to a land that I will show you. Which land is that? Just start walking, and I'll show it to you. First step is leave. Abraham had no idea what God was going to do through him. He had no idea about Isaac. He had no idea about what all was going to happen, how that through Abraham, God would later say, all the nations of the world would be blessed. You're blessed because of what God did through Abraham. Jesus came through the line or the seed of Abraham. So all the world was blessed, but Abraham had no idea and no, no clue what God was going to do through him when he says, get up and leave and go while I will show you. God leads his people in steps. In the Old Testament, it's interesting when we read about the children of Israel leaving Egypt and they leave and we see that there's a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. If you remember the story, the rabbis would say that that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud were like the legs of God as they would walk step by step, leading his people through the wilderness. See, a relationship with God scripturally is always characterized as a walk. And so is it any wonder that when Jesus shows up and he starts calling his disciples, notice that he doesn't say, hey, Peter, James, John, believe in me. He doesn't say that. He says, follow me. Walk with me. Go where I go. Move where I move. And that's how God will work in your life as well. He just asks you to take one step at a time. We get a great picture of this in the beginning of Acts. It's one of the last interactions that Jesus' disciples had with him. Jesus tells them, he says, I want you to go. He's speaking expressly to his disciples. You're going to go to Jerusalem, he says, and you will wait for the promise the gift that is coming. This is the Holy Spirit he was speaking about. But he'd given them instruction. He gave them a step. He said, go and wait. And so we get a little bit further conversation with the disciples and Jesus. And look at what it says in Acts 1 verse 6. Then they, that's the disciples, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, Jesus had told them what he wanted them to do. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait. But they start asking about something else. We kind of miss this because we don't... Go back one verse if you wouldn't mind there. Thank you. We kind of miss this because we don't quite really fully understand the context. See, the disciples were under Roman occupation. The Jewish people were part of the Roman occupation and the Roman Empire and they believed, and rightfully so, that the Messiah would one day come and establish his kingdom. And by the way, Jesus will. But it hasn't happened yet. They just thought it was going to happen then. 
So they're waiting for this to happen. So they're asking him, hey, at this time, are you going to take over? Hey, when are you going to kick out the Romans? Hey, when, when, when is this all, everything going to change? Because we're kind of tired of living this way. So Jesus gave them a step, but they have other ideas about what he should do and how he's going to do it. And so look at how Jesus responds. Acts 1 verse 7, it says this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father is set by his own authority. Don't you hate when God does that? You ask him a question, he says, I'm not telling you. That's essentially what he's saying here. I'm not telling you, but look at what he says. He says in Acts 1.8, this is a famous verse, we all know it, but you will receive power, not a military power like you want, not a political power like what you have in mind. It's not going to look like what you think, but you will receive power. What? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, what is he doing? He's pointing them back to the thing that he told them to do. Go to Jerusalem. Wait for the gift, the power that I will give you there. Now, what is this all about? Well, see, here's what happens. We follow God, and he gives us step by step, but often we don't like the step that he puts in front of us. Often we have other ideas of how God ought to accomplish his plan and purpose in our lives, exactly like the disciples. There's another way. When are you going to restore the kingdom? See, in their eyes, what had to happen was that Jesus had to drive out the Romans. They had no idea what God was going to do through his church. No clue. And I think this is how we often are. We kind of get fixated not only on what God is supposed to do, but how he's supposed to do it. And we miss the step that God puts right in front of us. Sometimes we ask God to give us something else to do because we don't like the last thing that he told us to do. And can I tell you, God's going to give it to you piece by piece by piece, step by step by step. We sometimes don't like the step that he's put in front of us, so we play a waiting game, waiting for something else. When God's not going to give you something else to do, when you haven't done the last thing that he asked you to do, take the step that's in front of you. Some of y'all are like, why? Why can't God tell me the end? Why can't he give me more information? Why do I have to be kind of in the dark like this? Well, here's why. Two reasons. Number one, because if he told you his whole plan, you'd screw it up. You would. Number two, the reason he doesn't tell you is because you would take the credit for it. See, God knows our hearts and that we like being in control. And so as soon as we get a glimpse of everything that he wants to do, we would run off and leave him and just try to accomplish it under our own power. And as it is, just with the step-by-step, we're trying to do that enough already. And so he gives it to us in steps so that we can maintain a relationship with him because, after all, that's what God wants. And so he gives it to you in steps. So here's the problem, is that sometimes God's steps forward look a lot like steps backward. We kind of have this idea that this is how a life with God should work, something like this graph here. Basically, there's a slow period from our birth to our 20s, and then after that, things should just go sharply up and to the right. Isn't this how life is supposed to go? And especially if you're doing well, if you're following God, if you're behaving rightly, you're praying well, you're reading your Bible, you're quoting Scripture. Isn't this what life is supposed to look like? But let me just tell you something. Life with God doesn't look like this. It looks a lot more like this. Because sometimes God's better looks a whole lot like worser. Sometimes winning looks a lot like losing. And we don't like that idea. I fear that in America we have started to bow the knee to success 
more than to Jesus. And sometimes what God asks us to do is to take a step forward that really looks a lot like a step backward. It looks like taking a job for less pay. It looks like volunteering more of your time. It looks like giving more of your money away. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like laying dreams down that you thought you were going to hold on to for your whole life. That's what it looks like with God sometimes. And that's what it is to follow God. And if your idea of following God is always greater and greater, you will miss God because we don't serve a greater and greater God, but we serve a Christ who is crucified. We win through losing. This is the nature of our faith. We don't win through always winning, but we win through what looks like losing. And we never recognize this. This is the problem with humankind, is that we don't recognize what God is doing when he's doing it. Do you know that there was no one at the cross going, this is incredible, you guys. I know he's suffering, but do you realize what he's doing? By the way, there was no one at the tomb counting down backwards from 10. 10, 9, get ready. He told us this would happen. Get ready. Here's the earthquake. Cue the lights. Amazing. No one was there. Why? Because they had no idea, even though he had told them exactly what was going to happen. They, what, they, what, was, what was the greatest achievement in humankind, nobody was there to see. Because none of us recognized what was happening when it was happening. And you think you'll be any different? You think as God tries to start working out what he wants to work out in your life, that somehow you'll recognize it all? Think again. We're no better than the disciples. We think winning comes through winning, but winning does not always come through winning. Sometimes it comes through sacrifice. Sometimes it comes through loss so that we can win, so that God's purpose can be established. So what's your next step? And are you willing to lay down your pride sometimes and take the next step? Sometimes the next step looks like getting help. Sometimes the next step looks like saying, I'm broken. Sometimes the next step looks like going to see a counselor. I remember when Heather and I were probably, I don't know, five years into our marriage, she, she suggested going to see a counselor. At that time, I wasn't willing to do it. Why? Because it looked a lot like losing to me. I can't do that. I'm on staff at a church. What will everyone think? Pride. See, sometimes the next step, it's not attractive to us, and so we're not willing to take it. But you got to be willing to take the next step. What's the next step that God's put in front of you? Take it. Take it. Trusting that God is a good God. And no matter what you see that step to be, you can trust that he's faithful. That's why David would write, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you made all of the evil go away. He doesn't say that. He says, because you are with me. Take the step. Follow God. That's number two. Number three is this, and I, I, I don't have a slide for this because I changed it from the last service to this service. So apparently the minimum requirements for following God are up for debate. Anyway, I'm the preacher. I can do that. Anyway, number three is this, though. I, I want to just kind of say it in a little different way is this, let God do it in you before he does it through you. Church, there's a, I, I love your passion for reaching people. I love the vision that your pastors have for you. I, I, I love the idea of 
reaching people, of helping people know God, of helping them experience freedom, of building families and raising up difference makers. I love it. But let God do it in you before He does it through you. I want to go back to a verse that we looked at a minute ago. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this has just been a, a thought that I've been meditating on, I don't know, for the last year or so, just a little bit here and there, but it's just powerful when you get a hold of it. Look at Acts 1, 8 again. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, but he's really speaking to you. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then look at this, and you will be my, let's all say that together, witnesses. Witnesses. God doesn't call us to be soldiers. And I'm not talking about he's against the military. I'm just saying our calling, our spiritual calling is not to be a warrior. It's not to be a soldier for Christ. Your calling is to be a witness. This is the calling. If you read through the book of Acts, one of the things that you'll see over and over and over again is that the the apostles continually refer to themselves as witnesses. It's in there a lot. They'll be talking to groups of people and they say, we are witnesses of these things. What are they talking about? Well, they're talking about what they experience. See, that's what a witness is. I don't know, in church world, the word witness gets all kind of corrupted by the way we think about witnessing to people passing out tracts or standing on a street corner. That's not what I'm talking about at all. When we talk about a witness, just in certain terms of the legal sense, you're talking about somebody who's experienced something, somebody who saw something, somebody who lived to tell the tale. I don't know if you've ever had a story that you could tell. You say, man, this happened to me. It was crazy. And all of us got crazy stories. You were a witness. You experienced something. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, is to live out our faith in such a way that we're witnesses. It's an experiential faith, not a head knowledge. See, this is the problem why we have so much trouble sharing our faith with other people, because we say, I don't know what to say. Nobody's asking you to preach a sermon. Just talk about what has God done in you. The unfortunate thing is that for me, for so much of my life, the answer was not much. I had a faith that I believed in. I believed in Jesus. So I I believed in Jesus from the earliest moments of my life. I can never remember a time where I didn't believe in Jesus. And I can never remember a time where I wasn't in the church. But as far as what difference was it making in my real life, not much. And I felt like because I believed and because I was pretty good, that that was it. Forget the fact that I had a porn problem. Forget the fact that my marriage was a mess. Forget the fact that I was a jerk to people uh, like that I loved. I was very harsh. I had a temper. Forget all of that. I wasn't growing in the fruit of the Spirit. I wasn't becoming more loving, more peaceful, more long-suffering, more patient. I was just the same guy I had always been, except I went to church all the time. Let me just tell you something. Going to church will not change your life. Reading the Bible will not change your life. Bible knowledge does not change your life. In fact, it'll often make you worse. This is the Pharisees. The people who Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you find life. But they didn't. They just kept finding verses that reinforced their position and their power and their place. That was me. 
was my life, and that's my story. I was religious for a long time in my life. And when Jesus started to work in me, it's amazing what he could do through me. But only later, I go back just recently, I was given some stuff from an old office that I had at the church. I, I guess I left some stuff behind and it was brought to me and I had some journals in there, 10 years old. And as I'm reading through these journals, I'm seeing all the things that God is doing through me now. He was working in me a decade ago. New song, God wants to do something so significant through you. But you cannot lead others where you have not been yourself. What does God want to do through you? Let me tell you, he wants to do it in you first. So often when we come to church, we think about other people. Oh, those people who need Jesus so badly, we forget that we need Jesus just as much as they do right here, right now. And it would be a shame that we listen to this thinking about how much good we're going to do for all those people out there and miss what God wants to do in here. And so I think the first prayer, and perhaps the most dangerous prayer, is the prayer that says, God, work it in me first. God, do it in me first. Whatever you want to do in our community, I offer myself. I want to go first. Work in me. Let me be a witness. Let me be a witness of your power, your grace, and your mercy. Work in me what you want to work through me. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? I just want to invite us as we close this today, just real quick. I just want to invite you to take your hands, just put them palms up on your lap there if you wouldn't mind. This is just a posture of surrender. I love this posture because it kind of mimics what we want our hearts to be like. And right there at your seat, maybe in your own words, nobody has to hear it, just you and God, but maybe you just pray just a quiet prayer that says, God, work in me first. Some of us, we have marriages that we want to see fixed. We have a spouse that we want to see change, or we have a parent or a brother or a sister. There, there, there's people in our lives that we want to see them transformed and change. Maybe instead of thinking about them right now or thinking about our community or all the people we could reach, maybe we just say, God, do it in me. Go further. Have more of me. I surrender to you. I offer myself to you wholly as your vessel for your use. Work in me. Work in my marriage. Work in my heart. Let it begin in me. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in and through them, for what you, the vision that's being born here, for the desire to reach people, not with a superficial gospel, but to really know you, to have transformation, not just Bible knowledge, but transformation in their lives. Lord, thank you for what you're starting and doing and continuing to do. And I know that, Lord, what you have started in this church, you will be faithful to carry on to the day of completion in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, wait, I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. Or maybe you did at one point in your life, but you're not walking with God like you know you should. He's not the center. You couldn't say he's the center. Maybe you're like me and you say, I've been religious that's you, I want to give you an opportunity today to put Jesus at the center. We're just going to pray a prayer called the Believer's Prayer. And it's just a declaration of saying, I want Jesus, you to be at the center of my life. We're going to pray it out loud, all of us together. 
If you'll just repeat this after me, Jesus will come into your heart. He will begin to transform you from the inside out. You're just starting your first step with him, but it's a beautiful, it's, it's the place where we have to start, where we bow the knee. That's what this is all about. Would you repeat this after me, New Song Church? Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. I confess I am a sinner. I need a Savior. You sent Jesus for me. I believe He was raised from the dead. And I confess that Jesus is Lord. Lord Jesus, I give you all of me. My past, my present, my future. I am yours. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.